Amen. God bless you. Go on and speak. It's my follow similar problem. We didn't have the high-pitched squeal, but everything shut off. And so if everything shut off, shuts off, I could tell you I could get loud enough so you can hear. <laughs> Amen. Trust me, we're going we're gonna to get this message out one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? Amen. I believe God is good. I pray that our whatever our thing is that's going wacko, pray that it gets healed and saved and delivered right now. In Jesus' name, amen. But I'm sure we'll do fine. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John. The book of John, chapter number 11. The book of John, chapter 11. We'll get to that here in just a minute. We're continuing on um, this morning with our series of messages that I started last week. And this series is has been... Um, designed to speak to you about our vision at Praise Chapel. I've designed this, this series to be very clear about our vision. It's, it's always important that we keep the vision in front of us. Can you say amen? Because sometimes what happens is after time we can get just doing stuff and, and, and life is just this way. It's not that it's sinister, but sometimes it, we can get pulled in different directions and we get off course. And if you know anything about construction, if you're off a little bit here, it's going to be way off down the road. And so we always want to have those uh, what we call in-flight adjustments where we realign ourselves, so to speak, and come back to the vision and say, look, at what is the vision? What's the goal? What, what are we doing here? And and, and, and so I've designed this series to bring some clarity to that. And 
you know, there's a lot of things that we do at Praise Chapel. We've, we've got lots of different ministries and activities and things that we do. But there is one thing that we must never neglect. And that one thing that we must never neglect is that we must never not be true to our vision. We must never change our vision. We, you know what? We could change a lot of things. It's kind of like I've always said to you about Kentucky Fried Chicken. They changed the bucket. They changed the building. They even changed the kernel now. You've got, you know, Kentucky Fried. You've got the crispy kernel. You've got all kinds of kernels now. But they always sell chicken. That's what they do. Kentucky Fried Chicken is all about chicken. Well, there might be a lot of different methods to the thing, but the message is always the same, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the message is always about the vision that God has given this church. And so we want to make sure that we do that. And it's important this morning to understand the why of it all. Now listen to me, the why of it all. I've preached this before. We have to ask ourselves the question, why do we do what we do? Now, there is a book out there. Um, I forget the author's name. His last name, I believe, is Cynic. But he wrote a book on the why. He talked about companies, that companies that are exceptional, companies that excel, companies that are innovators, they're leaders in their field, versus companies that are just kind of mediocre. They, they tend to not be all that innovative. They, they do a job. They, they get the thing done, but they're really not that notable. What separates them? And he said what separates them is those companies know why they do what they do, and these companies focus on how they do it. Now, there's no, 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 uh, no doubt today that knowing how to do something is important. But when you understand why you do what you do, what is the motivation, what is, what's propelling you, into your how. Why, why do you do what you do? And we asked that question last week. We, we said, why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we preach? Why do we have ushers and greeters? And why do we have an information center? Why do we take an offering? Why do we have children's church and youth and Bible studies and other ministries? Why do we have all of that? Well, we do what we do today for one reason. And that one reason is for the one. It's the one who is desperately needing a savior, a healer, a deliverer. We do what we do for the one who is still lost in sin, who is still broken, who is still captive. We do what we do, everything we do, for the one. So that the one can come in like us and they can receive grace, they can find hope, and they can experience transformation. That's why we do what we do for the one. Now, the one might be your neighbor. The one might be your son, your daughter. The one might be your husband or your wife, your coworker or your friend, maybe a family member, but we do it for the one, the one that needs Jesus. We do everything we do, from picking up paper in the, on the floor to preaching from the pulpit. We do what we do so that we can win the one. Can you say amen? That's what this church is about. And it's absolutely imperative that we as a church and we as individuals understand in clarity our vision. And it's absolutely critical that we as people personally invest in the vision. My wife was at a 
seminar yesterday down in Bullhead, and this was a seminar for uh, uh, children's church and youth workers and directors and pastors and teaching them how to lead the next generation. And one of the things that they told them there, there's, they said there's basically three classes of people. It's, it's the consumers, then it's the owners, and then it's the investors. And they said, we're always trying to get children to come from being just a consumer into an owner or a buyer into the place where they're saying, you know what, something, this is mine. I own this. And then when they come to that place, they, they go beyond just owning it to now I'm going to invest in it. And that's really what we need to be about is because we could just be consumers consuming the resources and consuming everything that we can get. But God's call that's upon us is that not only that we would buy into it, that we would own it, that this would be our church, but that we would invest in it. Amen. That's a $50 seminar right there. Okay. You say, what, what, what are you talking about? See, the Bible says this. It says, where your heart is, there will be your treasure. See, and so in other words, what happens is what you have a passion for, you invest in. Come on. That's what that's. It's, it's talking about the, there's a measurement there. There's the ability to understand your heart by what you invest in. Look at your checkbook one day. Amen. I, I know people stop balancing checkbooks in this generation. I, I balance it to the penny. I look at it all the time. And then when I look at it and, you know, there's like all of these entries, Carl's Jr., McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's like, well, no, duh. No wonder I can't lose no weight. That's where we're eating. All of a sudden, I see where the investment is. That's obviously I'm passionate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now think about this. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives one last instruction to his disciples. And how many know last words are important? And so Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's about to take his place on the the throne next to the Father, the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that just before he ascends, he looks at his disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and he says, as you go, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, go into all the world and preach. Now, the the problem with that is, is oftentimes we look at that as, as a verse to send, but there is as much about staying as sending in that verse. Because the word go in the Greek It has a meaning of not just sending, but doing. So one could read it this way. As you go daily into your world, preach the gospel. So Jesus' instruction is not just to missionaries or, or just to evangelists, but it's for every Christian sitting here. No matter who you are, where you came from, how much you know, you're called to go. To go into the world, into your world, And preach the gospel. Now, a lot of people get hung up there and they go, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't know how to speak like you. You know, I can't see myself standing on a table in a restaurant somewhere and shouting down the, you know, the fire of God. Well, that's not preaching. Look at what he talked about was going into your world and being an influence. What he talked about is sharing the love of God, the kingdom of God. 
Sometimes when we're in a grocery store, it can be just a kind smile to somebody that's having a rough day. Or maybe it's a kind word that says, you know what, you're doing a good job. Or maybe to a waitress that seems uh, harried and harassed and, and they're, they're, they're overwhelmed by the amount of tables. And you take the time and say, just take a moment and rest. We're patient. It's okay. If it takes a little bit longer for us to get our food, we won't be mad. You'll still get your tip. It's all right. That we actually be Christian. Amen. Amen. That we actually go into the world and be the representative of the kingdom of God. That we would actually be the ambassador. Now we also know that there will be times when, when people will say to us, they'll look at us because of our behavior, and they will say, what is it that's about you that's different? Why, why do you always have a smile or you always have a kind word and there's your open door? And then you look at him and go, well, let me tell you, I don't know a whole lot about theology, but the one thing I know is Jesus came into my life and he set me free. And I can tell you that he'll set you free. And he loved me right where I was at. He loved me for who I was and what I was. But he wasn't content to leave me who I was and what I was. He moved me and he changed me and he helped me and he strengthened me. And he can do the same thing for you. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity to present the love and the grace and the goodness and the power of the kingdom of God. Because you've gone into your world and you're preaching the gospel. See, the vision of this church is to continually be winning souls and reaching the lost. There's no doubt about it. But our vision does not stop there. Now, I'm going to say something that may hit you as a little controversial, but don't turn me off. Because let me say this. Soul winning is not enough. Soul winning is not enough. We have to commit ourselves to restoring the broken. See, when people come in and they get saved, they come in with all kinds of hang-ups and dysfunctions and problems and difficulties, and it is our responsibility to provide for them a safe place to heal and to grow. Does that make sense? Now, let me show you John chapter 11. You can move over to verse number 39, and it says this. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days already. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, see, I find that astounding. Jesus is he's doing actually exactly what he commanded us to do. He's walking in faith. He says, Father, I haven't even prayed yet, but you know what? I thank you that you hear me. You've heard me. And he says, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, this morning, this is a very vivid picture of a dysfunctional Christian. 
He's like, what? What, what? Well, think about this. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It was a miracle for sure. It was outstanding. Outstound, uh, it was amazing, extravagant miracle. Just like the miracle of salvation. Lazarus was indeed alive. Yet his miracle was not complete. It was only the beginning. Lazarus had life, but he did not have liberty. Can you imagine? I, you, you just, you, you, I know this is probably getting into John's world a little too much, but I kind of picture this. I, you know, I can imagine the scene. I imagine the scene. Here is the, you know, Jesus standing. There's the stone. They roll away the stone, and there's this, you know, this stench that wafts out. And it's like, whoa. Everybody's kind of like, I, wow. And everybody's kind of quiet, just looking around. And Jesus, he, he talks to Father just for a moment, and then, all of a sudden, he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And, and you know there's got to be a pause because God's always dramatic. There's always a little bit of a pause for effect because I lo- God loves to show off. And, and you know what? He, he's going to show some stuff here. He's going to show something pretty wild. And so there's a pause. It's seeming like, like nothing's happening. But then all of a sudden, just this little trickle of dust comes rolling out of the tomb. But then here's where it gets kind of scary and a little bit strange. Because here's this man, Lazarus, with a cloth over his face, and he's completely wrapped up, walking like this. It's like, whoa, did you see that? That's amazing. It just blows me away. It's an amazing miracle. But listen to me, it wasn't a completed miracle. It wasn't done. It was not enough for Jesus to raise him from the dead. Hang on with me. See, the act of getting saved is much different than the miracle of salvation. Just as a wedding is much different than a marriage. Kathy and I got married. We had a wedding over 31 years ago. It was a great day. I remember that day in detail. I was a big old baby and cried when I saw her walking down the aisle. There she was in her beautiful white dress, her dad walking her down, and I'm standing up on the stage, and I just started crying. It was amazing. It was an amazing day. And I remember it, but it was a day, a special day, no doubt, a landmark day, an event of all events. But it was once. We have not had another wedding. In 31 and a half years, we have not had another wedding. We've only had one. But for 31 and a half years, we have been working on a marriage. Big difference. Can you say amen? amen? See, when you got saved, when you came into the kingdom, when you bowed your knee wherever you were, whether it was at an altar or privately or by yourself or with a friend or wherever you got saved, it was a moment. Wonderful indeed. Magical even. A landmark day. But it was a day. It was a moment. But the miracle of salvation is the fact that you've been living a life of transformation ever since. That's the difference. And that's what we've got to see. It's, 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 it's very necessary that we see this. Because oftentimes we can get so wrapped up in the event 
that we forget what follows. Think about this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says these words. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what he's describing to us, he's talking to Christians, and he's saying, look, there is a process that is at work in you, and it's called the miracle of salvation. You've been saved. Now the miracle of salvation is taking you on a journey from glory to glory that you would be in the image of Christ, that you would be just like him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And over and over we see in Scripture that God's goal for us is that we would be like his Son in every way, in behavior, in, in, in the way we look, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we, we move through the earth. But that is a process of transformation, isn't it? It begins with being saved. It moves through salvation. Now think of it this way in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or, he, or he or she is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This verse of scripture has been written in what's called the continuing present tense, which means this, it is both now and continuing both now and not yet. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both right now and yet to come. It's this idea of we are there, but we are continuing to go there. So everything in the Christian life, everything that we do is both now and continuing. And we've got to understand that. See, the miracle of salvation, the grace of salvation, and the work of salvation is a process that is at work in us, but it takes place, or it's best, it works best in community. You say, what are you saying? This process that we're talking about, going from glory to glory, on our journey to becoming like Christ, that process works best in community, especially family. Especially family. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. I am not saying that the work of Christ on the cross is not complete. It is, in fact, very complete. There are no additions needed. There's nothing more than Jesus that we need. All we need is Jesus. However, the work of salvation brings us into a body, and we become a part of something that is much bigger than us. And it has many names. We know it as the body of Christ or the church of Jesus Christ or the family of God. But we have been brought together for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God in our generation. But that can only happen when the members of the body, the members of the family, are healthy. And that is why the Bible is filled with scripture like this. In Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, if he has fallen, you who are spiritual immediately get on Facebook and air their dirty laundry. Oh, it doesn't say that. You don't have the revised copy of the Bible, do you? 
you know, ever, ever, ever since technology took over, we, you know, Christians have to rewrite a little bit. It, so maybe it should say this. A man that's overtaken in a trespass, you that are spiritual, go gossip as much as you can about them. Or you that are spiritual, resist them and judge them. You know, how about, we'll just calm it down a little bit. How about you that are spiritual, just ignore them. Pretend like they're not here. You know, after all, they're unclean. No, it doesn't say that at all, does it? It says, brethren, if you, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, that, that, that verse of scripture all by itself should grip us. That preaches, can you say amen? Because how often do we find people that are falling that, 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 that have been caught up in trespass or sin or, or a new believer or a new person comes in and, and they're unsaved and they've got all this difficulty and it's like, ooh, you know, they got tattoos and they smoke and they drink and occasionally they, you know, use some, you know, reefer and, and you know, the, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can handle that. They're the target. Come on. Well, you know, I don't know. Look, at, in the Old Testament, if you touch the unclean thing, it made you unclean. In the New Testament, we make it clean. Can you say amen? amen. See, we have power. We're, we, we, there's something inside us. Life is inside us. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. It says this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ sets me free from the law of sin and death. What is he saying? He says there's something inside you that is to permeate out you, out of you. And that should be felt. And so when somebody comes in that's struggling, hurting, when there's some problems or there's difficulties, we should be all about restoration. Listen, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. So when we talk about fulfilling the law of Christ, what is it? Jesus came and says, remember all that old law? He says, I'm going to sum it up into two things. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you'll do that, he says, you're golden. He says, if you'll learn to do that, you will fulfill what I've asked you to do. And so, you know what, church? We're to walk in love. But oftentimes what I find is the church can be, it's a shark tank. Sometimes it can be like a bowl full of piranhas. Somebody hurts or somebody's wounded and immediately, and they're chewing on them. It's like, wait a second, we're supposed to love them. This church ought to be dangerous. You say, what do you mean? The clientele, you never know what's going to happen. Well, I, I kind of like my quaint little safe church. But that's, Jesus was dangerous. He hung around dangerous people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somewhere along the line, what happens is, is that we get caught up in the safety and the comfort. And we forget what we're all about. We are about reaching the lost. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, this is how you do this. He says, from the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effectual working by which every part does its share 
growth of the body, uh, causes growth for the body and for the edifying of itself in love. He says, you know what? When you get connected, that's the goal. We have to connect to people. And sometimes we have to connect to people that are hurting and lost and wounded. Sometimes they got bad things on them. But we need to connect to them, help them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 15, he says this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil. But always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. In other words, we're coming into this place of an attitude that says, You know what? I'm not just in it for me. I'm in it for you. See, we're all at varying stages of growth in this place. And for a body to grow, it must be committed and dedicated to the welfare of every member, great and small. Are you hearing me? You say, what what, what are you trying to say? Here's the vision. This church is a spiritual hospital that's ran and operated by a spiritual family that's been brought together by the miracle of salvation. That's what we are. That's what we're about. Listen to what Jesus says. In our text, he says, He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus was alive. He was raised from the dead. He had life, but he still needed liberty. And per Jesus' instructions, And his example, it became our responsibility or it became the the people that were around Lazarus, it became their responsibility to loose him and let him go. His friends and family were to remove the grave clothes. See, people will come to us wrapped in death. God will resurrect them. He will make them alive. But we are in partnership in this great commission. And that partnership is is that we need to be willing to remove the grave clothes. We, We need to be willing to move the false beliefs or we need to move the wrong mindsets or we need to remove the fleshly appetites and we need, the Bible says, to do it in love and in grace and in kindness and with patience. We need to remove the emotional distress and the relational distress, the inward flaws, all of those things. We need to bring about this liberty. That is the work of the church. You say, well, pastor, that's, isn't that your job? Yes, it's part of my job, but it's not. It's a job that's too big for one man. It's the church's job. Amen. You know, oftentimes in Christianity, we refer to those that get saved, the, the, the new believers, we refer to them as babies in the Lord. And I, I don't know if anybody's ever had a baby in this place, but they can be rather frustrating. They can be difficult because, you know, babies, you know, when my grandson Titus, he's how old, four months now, four months old, you know what, you know what he does really well? He doesn't do math real well. He's not a real good artist. He doesn't really sing like, you know, like a songbird. What does he do? He eats and poops really well. And we have to take care of him. His mom and dad have to take care of him. Thank God for being a grandpa. I love it. 
<laughs> Here, your kid. You know, <laughs> but I remember having my kids. You ever have a kid throw up with, in bed with you? Holy cow, you're holding on that kid, and that kid's, and it's like projectile, and it's like, I didn't realize they could throw up that much that far. <laughs> wow. But they're your kid, and what do you do? You, you lovingly will clean it up. They're a baby. They need attention. Can you say amen? amen? And same with baby Christians. They need attention. And sometimes they get messy. And sometimes that mess might get on you. Thank God you can wash your hands. It's our vision this morning to see that the people that we reach, because remember last week it was all about reaching the lost. This week, it's about restoring the broken. It's our vision that the people we reach, we restore. Now, as I bring this to a close, I, I want to put this in the clearest possible terms. And I want to I begin this by sharing a story with you. When Kathy and I were sent out in 1988, basically what that was is that the pastor at the time, Howard Pennington, he he uh, announced to our church that Kathy and I were going to go into the ministry and take over a church. And he announced to the church, but, but just before the announcement, he preached a message called, Don't Drop the Baby. I actually thought about doing this, but it is kind of mean. So I thought I'd just tell you what he did. At that time, there was a woman in our church that had just had a baby. This baby was just a, maybe a month or two old, just an infant. And so Howard tells his wife, Pam, says, go get the baby name. I forget the name of the baby now. And uh, that baby would be, gosh, she's almost 27 years old now. Yeah, older than Jason, um, 29. And so she went and got the baby. And she came out, and Howard held the baby and coo and tickle and, you know, everybody ooh and ah over the baby. So he hands the baby back to Pam, and she walks back to the nursery. Well, in that building, our nursery was the door. The nursery door was just off the foyer. But in that building, you could walk all the way around through the nursery into this back room, and you could come out on the stage. And so Howard preached for about 20, 25 minutes. And he says, hey, bring that baby. And there was Pam standing there. Now, what nobody knew is she dropped the baby off in the nursery and picked up a doll and wrapped it in the same blanket. And so she comes out and hands the doll. Now, nobody can tell because he's far enough away. And he's cooing and on on the baby. And as he's walking across the stage, our stage at that time was about two foot up in the air. And it had a little bit of a lip, about a two-inch lip. That if you weren't careful, it would, it would kind of trip you up a little bit. And so he acts, he's holding the baby. And he trips and he throws the baby. And that baby literally arced <laughs> through the air. And if you thought the O's and ah's were bad right now, in there it was... <gasps> I mean, people were grasping their hearts, and they're crying, and it was like, oh, the humanity. You know, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. And, and he got his point across that, you know what, when you're holding a baby, you ought to pay attention. And don't drop the baby. And you know what, that is so true. God will give us babies. We've been praying for revival. We've been praying, God, give us the souls of men. But if we are not equally prepared to care for the babies, 
We'll drop them every time. Listen to me. People who are lost in darkness need more than a power encounter for true and lasting change to take place in their lives. They need a relationship with Jesus and with his people. See, the power of God delivers us from the power of the devil. It delivers us from the power of sin, and it propels us into the kingdom of God as newborn children of God. But remember, the born-again experience is only the beginning of life as a new creation. And that life requires nurturing and care from the family of God for it to grow. Here's the problem. In society, it has become commonplace for children to be conceived from one-night stands and brushes with passion. The result is unintended childbirth and worse. All because we live in a culture that desires intimacy without responsibility and pleasure without covenant. And unknowingly, the church has been influenced by that mindset because it's a great thing. We applaud salvations. We love it. But we often don't love the work of the new baby. Week after week, we see people throughout churches in America go to altars and get saved. But where are they? Most of them, not long after weeping and repentance, are thrust into a struggle of survival. None of this even comes close to mirroring God's plan. What it is for a a Christian, it's not just the applause that comes from going to an altar, but it's also that they would receive a family who will personally feed and lead them. And worldly culture has created this weird mindset in the church that we think nothing of people being birthed by a night of passion only to be let, led, left at the altar with a prayer they don't understand and a Bible they can't read. We've given birth to children and left them fatherless, motherless, trying to survive on their own. Listen, Jesus never intended us to make Christians. He called us to make disciples. I challenge you, you go from Genesis to Revelation as fast or as long as it takes you to do it. You'll never find, go make Christians. But you will find in one form or another the thought of discipleship throughout the Bible. It was always meant to be relational. Are you hearing me? See, the word disciple means learner, and the very nature of a disciple is that they need someone to teach them. So what happens to a new believer that's not parented? Most of them go back into the world from where they came. Later, when someone tries to win them back to Christ, it's nearly impossible because they think, I've already done that. It didn't work. And the truth of the matter is, is what they experienced had little to do with the gospel. Why? See, the gospel means good news. And a large part of the good in the news is that we're supposed to be born into a family that cares. Can you say amen? Amen. Not just influenced by people that are fanatical for salvation. Don't get me wrong. I believe that we need to be reaching the lost. We need salvation. But it doesn't stop there, church. It goes beyond that. We need to care for them. We need to love them. We need to follow up on them. We need to make an investment in them. We need to parent them. We must rise up and become the spiritual 
mothers and fathers that God has called us to be. And as I bring this to a close, there's two ministries, two particular ministries in Praise Chapel here at this church that are direct ministries into evangelism that see on a regular basis people coming to Jesus. One of them is Jacob's Ladder. Most of you know Jacob's Ladder is our recovery program. We started that program back in 1991, and it has had nothing but success. Literally, literally, thousands of people, amen. But here's the problem. The problem is, is and on one side, it's a great thing. We have great teachers in Jacob's Ladder. We have, you know, uh, Howie and and Alex and and, uh, Andy and Bill and Tom and, and all the rest that teach. And they do a great job. They reach people. And you know what? Just about any time we do what's called our large group, we get up and we talk to them about what Jesus and recovery means in that context. And, and you know what? It, we always get people responding. We, we'll have anywhere from 50 to 100 court-appointed people. It's like fishing in a barrel, man. They're court-appointed, and they come, and we share the gospel with them. And we'll get anywhere from 25, 30, 40 people raising their hand for salvation. The problem is, is we don't have the ability to follow up on them. We don't have the ability to, to, to nurture them and to reach back into their life. And what we need is a congregation that says, you know what, I'm going to get behind that. Well, I can't teach. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. You don't, look at, sometimes all it takes is just sitting by somebody. Last night we had that very thing happen. We had a woman that was here that was very discouraged, very upset. She was sitting by herself. My wife saw her. So my wife gets up and walks over and just sits down next to her. No words were exchanged. But within probably about three minutes, she just began to break down, cry, hugged my wife and said, I just needed somebody to care. Sometimes it's as simple as just sitting by somebody. Sometimes it's just enough of a pat on the back to say, hey, man, keep going. Don't stop. In Jacob's Ladder, though, we, th- these are folks that are coming. They are addicted. They are angry. They, they're rough cut. They, they may even, when they talk to you, they may even cuss. And we might have to just get over ourselves and just come alongside them and say, you know what, that's okay. There was a day that I was just like you. I just want to tell you you're welcome. Hey, can we go have a cup of coffee? I just, you know, Pastor Howard, most of you remember him, Pastor Howard. When he got saved, he was a biker. Man, he had a beard down to his belly button, wore, you know, those overalls? No underwear. That was his testimony, not mine. His pastor, he, his pastor was going to take him to a conference, and he went to Pam, Howard and Pam, and he says to Howard, he says, if you're going to go to the conference, you've got to start wearing underwear. That was discipleship. Now, that sounds crazy, but you know what? Here's a man that pastored his first church on parole. Yeah, he tells me about the Bible studies he'd be having with men. And his parole officer would come up and knock on the door. Say, hey, it's time for the UA. He'd say, hey, guys, i got to stop reading the Bible right now. i got to go do this UA. But I'm clean. It's all right. See, that was somewhere along the line. We were reaching. And then Pastor Howard went on to pastor five churches. And there's men all over the world today serving God because of that man. Because somebody, now listen, hang on. That ain't, you ain't got to the good part yet. You can clap for this. When Howard and Pam came in, they were in their 20s. And they were rough cut, man. I'm telling you, they were bark, bite, biker people. You picture that in your mind, whatever that looks like to you. And somewhere along the line, they, they had lived a rough life. But a, a, a couple came alongside. The last names were Huey. 
And they were in their 60s, late 60s. And they came along and they took Howard and Pam out to lunch. And Howard said, he goes, I felt so out of place. I didn't have nothing to say with these old people. But those old people became his friends. And up until the day Howard passed, the Hueys were friends with Howard and Pam. Why? Because they made a connection. It wasn't about preaching at them. It wasn't about theology. It wasn't about anything. It was, it was just simply about coming alongside them and saying, hey, man, you're worth it. Just like somebody came alongside you and said, you're worth it. We need that in Jacob's Ladder. There's another ministry in Praise Chapel. It's called Praise Chapel Community Assistance Center. It's where our benevolence ministry, where we help and meet needs financially. The last several years, probably the last three or four years, we have done in excess of $50,000, in in assistance to to the community of Kingman. People come in all the time, and they're looking for, you know, help food or uh, utility assistance or need gas or shoes or something. People come in and they say, I I could get a job, but I don't have steel-toed boots. So we buy them the boots so they can get a job. And somewhere we've been ministering like that, but I was thinking about it the other day. I was thinking, you know what, God, you're bringing tons of people into this place. We should capitalize on it. And I was thinking, you know what, they got every person has to fill out an application. Everybody's got to fill out an application. I thought, what if we had some people, some volunteers that came in, and once their application was filled out, it went, and they sat down with them before they got their stuff. And they said, hey, look, we're here. We just want to love you. want to meet you. We'd like to pray with you. If there's anything we could talk to you about, if you're struggling or anything like that, not get into high-end counseling, not get into, you know, we're going to fix your life in 10 minutes, but we are a friend. We'd like to tell you about our church, tell you about our ministry, and man, we'd just like to get together with you. What if we had volunteers like that? How many people could we draw into the kingdom just by being those two ministries alone, let, let, that, that's not to mention children's church and nursery and, and youth and, and the Bible studies and, and all the rest of the ministries that we do, the men's ministries, the women's ministries, and everything else, the ushering, greeting, information center. Remember, everything we do is for the one. Everything. What if, rather than just saying, yeah, it's all about salvation, yes, it is all about salvation, but it doesn't stop there. What if we took on the mindset and said, you know what our vision is? Our vision is first to reach the lost. Second is to restore the broken. And then next week, to release into destiny. Because we want to reach them, we want to restore them. And then we want to release them into what God has. And that takes not a pastor, it takes a church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that these words, God, would penetrate our heart and our mind. Father, that we would keep that vision very still in front of us, that it would captivate us and hold us. Father, that we would walk in the plan that you have. Father, speak to us, we pray. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. I'm not right with God. 
but I'd like to be. I'd like to give my life to Jesus. I want to get saved. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Would you lift it up? Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Someone else. I, I just need Jesus. I, I need him. Maybe you're backslid. Maybe at one time you were in relationship with God, but now you find yourself disjointed, separated, estranged from God. And you, you say, I want to come back to that, man. I, I, I want that restored in my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Amen. Would you pray with me? Would you all, all of you, just this whole congregation, would you just pray? And if you raise your hand, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here in a minute, we're going to have our prayer team come up. And if you said that prayer, come on up and talk to one of them. Just say, hey, look, I just gave my life to Jesus. Let them touch you. And then, real quick, just before you stand up and, and we'll release you, in the bulletin, you're going to see a flyer like this. It says, get plugged in. And it has several different sections on it that you can plug in. We want you to feel, if you'd like to say, you know what, that, that could be me, man. I, I, could, I could be a part. I want to make an investment in the vision. If that's you, make an investment with my life. Just fill that out. Take it to our information center, and somebody will be contacting you real soon. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? Our prayer team is coming.